Good morning. It's great to be with you. I'm just going to adjust this. Um, I'm so chuffed to be here today and um, for us to have a whole day together. And um, Oh, that hasn't gone well, has it? Okay. <laughs> Very short worship leaders here at this church. Uh, ah, there you go. Have the technology. That's brilliant. Thank you so much. Great. So it's great to have, have the whole day carved out um, to be together. I'm just so excited as to what God might do. And I very much want the focus to be on what the Father will do amongst us here this morning. And uh, I'm hoping that you've come with really expectant and open hearts. I thought it might be worth just at the start, though, uh, introducing myself and um, the people I brought with you. So um, my name is Paul Johnson. Um, uh, I'm affectionately known as PJ because I first went to Bedford to work on the project that we got there, a homeless work, and there were too many pools in the house. And so I said, okay, well, just for these sort of 10 months, just refer to me as PJ. 20-odd years later, it's still PJ, and I've not been able to shake it. So I'm Paul or PJ, I answer to both. And uh, I'm married to Emma, who I met whilst doing my FP year. That's kind of a tradition. You have to meet your spouse on FP. That seems to be where it works. I've got a photo. This is me with our, our four children here. Um, and uh, this is us um, outside our house. Uh, it took us uh, quite a while. <laughs> quite a while to build that. So, um, and we've been living in Bedford for the past 20 or so years. And uh, I'm part of the King's Arms and, and have been uh, really for over, tw- over 20 years, as I say now. So it's been my privilege to see it grow and develop and what God's uh, doing amongst us. And it's been great to have a relationship with so many other churches. Um, indeed, we had uh, Phil up to speak at King's Arms, Phil Moore up to speak at King's Arms a short while ago. So it's fabulous to have him. And it's Great to be able to come down and try and bless you guys. But I brought some team with me as well. I just wanted to introduce them, but I also wanted to let you know why I brought them, if that's all right. So, Andy, do you mind standing up first and just facing everybody? This is Andy. And the reason I brought Andy is because he is a gentle father, very often to the fatherless, and he oozes out the father's love to people. So I'm just delighted that you can be with us. So I'll introduce them all, and then you can sort of welcome them, if you like. So I'm going to introduce Tom next. Uh, this is Tom. He's running the, running the visuals for me this morning. Um, the reason I've brought uh, Tom is because he knows what it is to do for God to do an amazing work of restoration uh, in his life. And I'm just delighted that he can be with us today. So he's seen God sort of rebuild his life. Isn't that true, Tom? And so it's been amazing to see what God has done in him. And I've brought Matt as well here. This is Matt. Um, Matt um, works um, in HR. And um, the reason I've brought Matt is because he knows all about faithfulness. He knows what it is to uh, walk with people over the long haul. He knows what it is to bring words of wisdom to their lives that will help shape them and change them. So, for instance, last night, he was at our Friday night meeting, which is our outreach meeting, Feeding the Poor around Bedford. Uh, So he did that last night, got up early this morning to drive me here. He's a quality man. And then last but certainly not least, I brought Dave here. This is Dave because uh, Dave is a man of rare integrity and also knows what it is to trust God through times of real adversity in the past, but also right now. And you do well to have this man pray for you and bless you. So can we just thank these guys for making the time? Brilliant, brilliant. So, so chuffed. So thank you, guys. So we, we left uh, Bedford at uh, 6.45, so um, as a team, we, we did shorter runs this morning, didn't we? Didn't, the jogging wasn't so long as normal this morning, so, uh, so it's great to have travelled down and be with you. Um, and uh, I, I thought maybe it might just give you a little bit of, helpful to give you a little bit of background as we lead into today. Um, as David said, there was a bit of to and froing as to whether or not we do today. 
um, and, ha and whether or not we could fit it in the diary and all the rest of it. Um, but I was so struck by his gentle persistence that I thought we must make this happen. And then we had uh, issues because it potentially clashed with the World Cup. And, um, and we, we had this conversation on the phone over, well, um, what happens when England win their group? You know, or worse still comes second, and uh, will, we, will we then have to shorten the day and all the rest of it? Fortunately, the England rugby team have uh, made way for us today. So we are going to be praying into any particularly raw wounds that you are carrying as a result of that. I read on Facebook this week that um, there's this joke going around now. Um, an Englishman walks into a bar. There would normally be a Scotsman, a Welshman, and an Irishman there, but they're all at the World Cup. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, so we, we'll, we'll, we'll minister into that. Uh, later on. So I'm just delighted that we have got the time together and perhaps not quite the same time pressure we would otherwise have had. And uh, I thought I'd start just by sharing a little bit of what God's doing in Bedford. We love to, to share stories of what God has done amongst us. They're uh, like milestones along the way, if you like. And I don't know if you're experiencing this here in London, but everywhere I go, it seems like that God is answering the prayers that previous generations have prayed. I don't know if you're finding that in terms of salvation, in terms of healing. I feel like we're standing on the shoulders of the prayer giants from previous generations. Um, so we've got um, one uh, lady in our worship team. Um, we had this one morning where we felt to particularly pray for uh, eyesight. And so she came forward and prayed. I uh, got prayed for that her eyesight would improve. She had uh, various problems. I had to wear quite thick lenses in her glasses. Anyway, um, the next time she's on the stage... Uh, in, in worship, she plays the keyboards. Uh, she went to look at the music sheet and uh, couldn't read any of it. It was all just a blur. And so her immediate thought was, oh my goodness, uh, my eyesight has dramatically deteriorated since last time when I, when I got prayed for. That's, that's not the way it's meant to go. Uh, and so then in desperation in the end, she took her glasses off and discovered that she could re read the sheet music perfectly without them. So the problem was, her, her eyesight had been completely restored, but she was looking through the wrong lenses. Incredible. Uh, we had um, another time when um, a lady uh, responded to um, the, the back, lower back pain. That's often people come with issues like that. And we, we prayed, went over and prayed for this um, lady, and she had problems with her right leg um, and with her pelvis and was seeing a chiropractor. Uh, for it. And as we're praying for her, there's like an audible pop as her hip goes back in. It was quite grim in the moment. She winced, and I thought, oh, no, what's happened? Um, she went back to the chiropractor the next week and had her legs remeasured. And this time, instead of one leg being shorter than the other, they're both exactly the same length. No, no complaints, no problems ever since then. And then in January, we had probably one of our most remarkable he healings this year. I had a guy, Mark, uh, come to us. And um, he uh, came into the back of the church, and uh, he looked incredibly pale and thin and gaunt. And uh, it's like his cheeks were sort of sunken in. And he had a, a feeding tube that went up through his nose and down straight into his stomach. He had uh, such severe uh, stomach issues that he hadn't been able to eat solid food in two years. And so he could only be fed through the tube. He'd had uh, such high doses of morphine for the stomach complaints and the pain in his stomach that he'd lost all but two of his front teeth. Um, and he was in a desperate, desperate state. Uh, he started going on our Alpha course. Uh, he got prayed for, I think it was the second week and the third week. And then the fourth week, uh, they prayed again. And then the next morning, he woke up to discover that his appetite had completely returned. 
And so he just tentatively uh, ate a bit of toast and discovered that he was all right. And then he had a bit more. By the end of the day, he was stuffing pizza into himself. He's now completely off of the morphine. The doctors can't explain it. He's just totally restored. And it's been remarkable to see him come through. Not surprisingly, he came to faith as well off the back of that. We're just seeing God break in. We're seeing people saved on the streets. We're seeing people healed on the streets. And I think these are momentous days. And what a great time to focus in on what the Father might do in and through us today. And I really want to have that emphasis that we're carrying something not just for us, that we might be better fed, but that we might be able to share more and more with the world around us. And um, I wanted to start off on that sort of vein, really, and kind of get us all onto the same page in terms of expectations and uh, motivation for why we're doing today. But just before that, if it's okay, I just want to kind of go with the flow of what the Holy Spirit's doing. I just had a couple of quick prophetic words for individuals, if that's all right. So um, I just bumped into, it's, it's Rajan, isn't it? Is that right? As, as you came in, would you mind just standing, just, to, just if that's okay, just in response. Um, Rajan, I had a, just a, a sense that God wanted to speak to you particularly uh, this morning. And um, I've not met you before, but I felt immediately I met you, I felt the Father say to me that you're a man of influence and that you are an influencer. I, I, I go out on a limb. I, I got the impression that you've had experience in the business world and a measure of success in the business world. And what I saw was I saw you with um, a sharp sword in your hand. Uh, that was to do with um, wisdom, was to do with intellect, uh, was to do with godly ambition. And then I saw the Lord take that sword away from you, which I thought, oh, that's not good. Uh, but what he did is he gave another sword back. And instead of this sword having one edge, you now have a, he wants to give you a sword with two edges. And I felt that the second edge was to be a fathering anointing. And I feel like alongside your wisdom gift, he's given you a passion and a heart that particularly young men might know who the father is and grow in stature in him. And I don't know if any of that makes sense to you, but um, I just feel like God's wanting to do a work in you today that you might receive stuff in order that you might very much give it away. Is that okay? Okay, all right. Okay, so that's good. And then it's, um, is it Johnny who, who met us upstairs? So Johnny, do you mind just standing? So again, just met you. Um, jo- Johnny's sorted us out with cakes, so I'd, I'd love to pray for you, Johnny, and bless you. <laughs> You're immediately one of my friends. Um, and uh, yeah, I want to just, maybe if you just want to close your eyes and just focus in on the Lord for a moment. There's just, I just sense that God's resting on you right now. I pray, favor of God, come and rest on Johnny right now. Thank you, Father. The phrase the Lord gave me for you, Johnny, was um, invading secular spaces. It was a book of that title some years back. And I feel like um, God's, God wants to say that there have been times where you've wondered where you fit. And there's been a sense of um, not feeling like you're always speaking the same language as everybody around you. And even the phrase misfit came to mind. Um, but the, the Father wants to say to you that he's made you to be a translator and that you are gifted to translate the gospel into secular spaces and that he's given you the ability um, to make the gospel understandable to people who don't know Jesus and that you, um, you can, 
the reason you don't always feel like you completely fit around Christians is that you're not made to always be around Christians. And I see you translating the gospel to many, many people. It's like he's giving you a vocabulary and an understanding of the secular world that's, that's quite rare. And so we, we break off any sense of not belonging or not fitting in or not quite fitting the mold and say, instead, God has made you to be unique. And that you are to invade secular spaces and that you have a clarity of speech and authority that is going to win many souls for the Lord. That's going to rescue many people. That's a closer phrase to what the Lord's saying. Giving you, giving you ability to rescue many people. And so, Father, we pray blessing on that. Pray today's message might help Johnny all the more to translate your love to a needy world around him. In Jesus' name, amen. Does that make any sense to you, Johnny? Yeah? Okay, bless you. All right. Great. Well, let's, let's just keep open to God and see what else he wants to do amongst us, all right? So um, let me try and get us all onto the same page uh, as we start out our first session uh, here this morning. Um, I, I guess when I first heard the, the Father's Heart message, I came in, if I'm honest, a little bit skeptical. Uh, I came in a little bit cynical, um, questioning, and I had two real questions uh, over the Father's Heart message before I started learning more about it. And the, the first one was this. I thought, well, the Father's Heart message, yeah, well, you know, I've read a little bit about that. I think I understand it, but I'm concerned that this whole message doesn't just become a bit of a distraction. There's, there's a dying world out there that needs to know Jesus. And um, I sit here, there's a city of London full of people who, who don't know God. And wouldn't we be better spent spending time looking at how we're more effective in our evangelism, um, looking at how we can reach lost people better? And, and obviously, those are very good things to be doing. But what I came to realize as I unpack this more is that there's a very close correlation between understanding our true identity and reaching people with the kingdom. So, you know, obviously Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father in heaven, your kingdom come. That there's this connection between understanding who the Father is and the kingdom coming. I heard somebody say recently, um, our strategy is our identity. And what I've discovered, the, the, the more that I, I dig, dig into this and drill down into this, that our identity is our strategy. You know, knowing who you are is what you've got to give away. You're a, a son of God made to go and make more sons of God. So the more you understand what it is to be a son of God, then the more you have to give away. Does that make sense? And also... Just anecdotally and experientially, we've discovered here in Bedford that um, the more we unpack this message and try and understand it and get it into the very core of our souls, then the more external stuff we're actually starting to do. Uh, you know, so we're, as many of you might know, we run a night shelter and a hostel. But what we've started more recently to do is far more outreach work. Um, we've got people who help settle people into accommodation. Uh, we have the Friday night meeting that feeds people, like I mentioned. We're starting up new houses. We start up two new houses uh, this year. Uh, we have, like I said, teams out on the streets. This term, we have our second ever largest alpha and beta course. Uh, we've got people starting up new missional groups, some of them around football, others around through to baking cakes and then giving them away to people. We're discovering that life comes the more we understand who God has made us to be. So that was my first objection that, well, you know, isn't this a bit of a distraction, you know, when we've got a world to win? Well, we've actually discovered that this is part of God's strategy in order for us to reach a dying world. The second hesitation or objection I possibly had was, I'm a bit concerned that this doesn't just become a bit of a me-centered gospel. 
Do you know what I mean? We, we live in quite a selfish, consumerist society. I don't want to just perpetuate that by making it all about me and how uh, the Father loves me. But actually, as I've drilled down into this aspect more, I've realized that actually the, the more I discover who God has made me to be, the more it turns into praise of what he's done. Yeah. Um, you see, I'm, I'm conscious that we really get into verses like this from Galatians 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls our Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. The more we understand that, the more the response therefore has to be praise. Um, when I was growing up through my teenage years, I was uh, at a church in a little uh, village in Hampshire called Odium. Some of you may have heard of it. And um, I was discipled and pastored by uh, a chap there, the late Arnold Bell. Anybody heard of Arnold Bell? Wave a hand in the air. Uh, the man is a legend or was a legend in New Frontiers. And it was a privilege uh, to sit under his ministry uh, for many years. And when I was on, went on staff with him, the first thing he did was he, he gave me a book by J.I. Packer called Knowing God. Has anybody read that? You know it in my direction, yeah? So he gave me this little book, J.I. Packer, Knowing God. And um, J.I. Packer uh, writes this. What is a Christian? The ris- richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as his father. If you want to know how well a person understands Christianity... Find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and of having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Adoption is the highest blessing of the gospel. So I read passages like that and it it stirs me more to praise. So I, I guess my experience has been that the more we unpack this message, well, then the more it results in exalting Jesus and worship of our Heavenly Father. And far from it making us me-centered, it's actually just prompted gratitude in my heart for all that God has done for me and results in praise. So I hope that perhaps answers any objections that you might have in your heart or hesitations about embracing this message. And my desire very much is that this whole day might be about giving glory to him for what he has done. Yeah. I, I want to understand who I am in order that I might praise him all the more. Because it matters hugely what motivates our behavior. And we can get motivated through a sense of duty or obligation, or we can get motivated through a sense of gratitude. Our belief begets our behavior. And so my prayer this, this morning is that you give God the whole day, that you give it all over to him, that you say, no holes barred, God, whatever you want to do amongst us and whatever you want to do in my life. And, and I guess my sort of driving conviction is that for the vast majority of us here in this room, if we've been Christians any period of time, we don't actually need a whole load more new information. We, we, we don't actually need a whole new, load more new information that we have uh, more information available to us than ever before in human history. You know, you can get you know all the information you need on your smartphone within five minutes or so. No, no, we don't need more information by and large. What we do need is more application. You know, if we lived out ten percent of what we know, we would be the most amazing Christians ever. 
The question is, how do I live out what I know? Just let me give you a little illustration. How many of you have ever read uh, Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but rather through prayer and petition present your request to God? Stick a hand in the air. Okay? Pretty much everybody. That's ringing some bells for you, yeah? Okay? Brilliant. So it says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to no longer be anxious. Okay, stick a hand in the air. How many of you have now eliminated anxiety from your life? Yeah, okay, we've got one. Okay, we're going to get you to pray for everybody later on. <laughs> Or deal with denial. One or the other. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. The, the issue is, how do I stop being anxious? It's how do I apply the Word of God into my life so that I live and breathe it? Because there are two ways of interacting with truth, aren't there? Um, th- there's, there's the head level. I'll give me an example. Uh, many years ago, I, I went on holiday to France uh, with a group of mates. This was before I was married. And uh, we were staying in the area of the Alps. And... Um, They'd, it was summertime, and they'd, the, the, the French, a French company had made a toboggan run that you could use during the summer down the side of this Alp. And basically, what they had done, I don't think French health and safety is quite the same as British health and safety. I don't know if any of you have experienced that. They'd basically got a whole load of um, a semi-section of pipe and nailed it to a side of a cliff. That is essentially what they had done. And they put people on like baking trays and then shoved them off. And uh, so I, we went up to this, and you could see it from miles away as you drove up. You could see this toboggan run. And as I approached the toboggan run, I looked at the toboggan run, and I thought to myself, that looks scary. Yeah. So I, I, I gave an intellectual acknowledgement, intellectual assent to the, the notion that this is scary. But then we paid some money, and we went on the toboggan run. And in that moment, I experienced that the toboggan run was Changing underwear, scary. It was that kind of level of scary as we flew down the side of this mountain. You know, when we look at things today, I would love you not just to give intellectual assent to things, but rather to have an open-heartedness towards what God might do. That you might hear some familiar truth on one level, but it might sink deeper down into your heart. You know, when Jesus says in John 8, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. He's talking about a Hebraic way of knowing the truth. You know, the same way that Abraham knew Sarah, yeah? They weren't just Facebook friends. He knew her, yeah? In the same way, I want you to know the truth, to experience it at a deeper level today. Does that sound okay? Are you up for that? Yeah. If you are, so why don't you just stand for me? I'm going to pray for us. Let's just close your eyes, just as a way of helping to focus in on him. Father, we stand before you today to say, would we, Father, not just hear information that feeds a sense of curiosity, but would we hear truth down to the very core of our souls? Maybe place your hand on your heart just as a symbol of saying, God, come and touch my heart today. Father, we say to you, we lay down all our filters we, fa- we lay down our heresy filters. We lay down our intellectual filters and say, Father, would you come and speak straight to our hearts? Father, would we not sit and judge, do I agree with that, don't I agree with that, is that right, is that wrong, but actually allow your spirit to come and speak direct. And then we'll sift it and weigh it later and trust that if we're not to accept it, you'll show us later. But for the time being, Lord God, would we just 
take right to heart everything that you've got to say and do in us, we pray. We give you permission this day. I've got a picture of um, going into an operating theater and signing the consent form. Sit in your heart, just sign the consent form and say, Father, whatever you want this day, would you come and do? We pray for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Great. Do you want to take your seats? Brilliant. Thank you, chaps, for standing with me. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to actually spend quite a chunk of the day looking at obstacles to encountering God as Father. What we've discovered in our experience of teaching this material is that if you start out just with a, a whole load of truths, that very often they can not be received at such a deep level as when we start to remove the blockages. It's nat- the natural thing for us is to experience relationship with God as our Father. It's removing blockages that hinder that that's so key. And, and that's what we're going to start out doing today. If you like, it's a bit, I imagine it a bit like, um, like Paul when he speaks to the church in Coloss or in Ephesians 4. Uh, he uses this image of um, taking off old clothes and then putting on new clothes. You're familiar with that, those passages. Um, Ephesians 4 says this, it wants you to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt in its deceitful desires. Uh, Corinthians 3.9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So it's this, this idea that our spiritual growth is not just about what you start doing, but also what you stop doing. And what you cease doing is as important as what you start doing. So the good news is today, I'm not actually going to give you a whole load more new things to do. Is that a bit of a relief? Some of us, hand in the air if you've got enough to do, thank you very much, yeah? I'm going to give you less to do today, all right? So that's the idea. We're going to spend a lot of time looking at what we need to stop doing in order that our relationship with our Father might flow naturally. Does that sound all right, yeah? And the first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at the whole subject of self-parenting. Now, this may be uh, unfamiliar to some of you. You may not have come across this sort of term before. Uh, but I'll explain what, what I mean by that in a moment. But what we've discovered is that this is a blockage that, once removed, can make a dramatic difference to people's lives. We run a, a course up in Bedford, a, um, an evening course called uh, TSM, Training for Supernatural Ministry, and have a whole load of people from different places come to that. And so I teach this uh, subject at our TSM school. And um, every time I teach it, without fail, I'll have people uh, come up to, m- to me and say things like this. Uh, PJ, uh, that was horribly convincing. Um, I don't see why the rest of the church should be spared that. I'd like you to teach that on a Sunday. Or uh, they say things like, um, Paul, uh, that was the most agonizing half hour of my life. Promise me that you'll go through that material with my husband. You know, that, those are the sort of things that people come up to me and say. And so prompted um, by, the, by the generosity and benevolence um, of the TSM students, I've been urged to, to take this message a little bit wider. And so that's why we're going to be looking at this subject today. And um, let me introduce it to you. Uh, there are two ways of doing life, aren't there? Um, there's, very simply put, there's God's way and our way two ways of managing your approach to life. Before any of us became followers of Jesus, uh, we did life our way. Uh, We did things the way that we wanted. We were self-reliant, we were independent, we were stubborn, and very often we were proud. That reminds me of the poem by William Henley called Invictus, which is Latin for unconquered. And just one verse, the last verse goes like this. It matters not how straight the gate How charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. 
It's this notion that we are the captains of our own souls, that consciously or unconsciously we were choosing our own path and our own direction. Isaiah 53 puts it like this, we were like sheep that have gone astray. We'd wandered, and some of us had wandered a little way, and some of us had wandered a long way, but we'd all wandered. Judges 17.6, in those days there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That was a summary of where we were at as individuals, and to some extent it's a summary of where we're at as a nation. And it's been my experience that everyone I've met has made up their own set of values, their own sense of right and wrong, and when we reject God, we make up our own rules. So it was a conscious or unconscious choice for each one of us. And our, our backgrounds have only served to, to exacerbate this. Uh, for some of us, if we're honest, uh, our upbringing wasn't ideal. Uh, I'm not knocking or blaming parents. I'm not going to do any of that kind of stuff today. I want to be honoring about everything that we say. But the reality is that for some of us, our situations only serve to make us more self-reliant and more independent. And many of us missed out on what we needed, particularly from a father, to do. When we needed guidance and covering, it wasn't always there. I spoke to a guy a little while ago, uh, and he said to me, Paul, all I wanted was for someone to show me what was right and wrong, but instead there was nothing, just a vacuum. And this morning is based on my observations from talking to lots of people over the years that when there are gaps, when we've needed something from a parental figure, what we do is we try and fill in the gaps in that upbringing for ourselves. Uh, we can't live without a sense of morality, without a sense of right and wrong. Even in the toughest, hardest prisons in the country, there will be their own moral code. So we establish our own sets of values and rules for living. And in a sense, that's what self-parenting is. It's about setting your own sets of boundaries of what's right and wrong and living by those rules rather than the father's house rules. For want of a better phrase, we play the role of trying to parent ourselves, if you like, self-parent which is where this phrase come from, comes from. And I think a big part of the Christian process of sanctification is us changing our mindset, moving from one way of thinking to another. And what I want to do this morning is expose some of our wrong ways of thinking in order that we might adopt the Father's values and the Father's set of rules. Sanctification involves an increasing likeness to God in our thoughts and then consequently our actions. So that's what we're going to be doing for the rest of this session this morning. And this comes from my observations as a pastor um, over the years and through conversations with other pastors as well. Uh, but the biggest source of information on self-parenting has actually come from me. So in a moment, I'm going to give you 10 indicators for self-parenting. And uh, the reality is that the vast majority of them have come from me and my background and my issues and my experience. It might be at the end you feel like you want to pray for me rather than me pray for you. But, you know, I, I have moved on a little bit, all right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you 10 indicators of self-parenting and how they might play out in our lives. Does that sound all right? And what you can do is you can go through uh, the list and you can mentally or even write them down on a bit of paper, you can give a tick or a cross besides each one. Does that sound okay? Uh, if you get all 10, shout bingo. Um, you win a toaster and a lot of prayer. That's what happens, all right? So if you get all 10, you know, let us know, and we will definitely rush over and pray for you, all right? So here, here we go. Let me give you 10 indicators of self-parenting, where we're parenting ourselves 
rather than letting the father parent us. Number one is this. People who self-parent will generally have a strong internal moral code. So everybody needs this framework to operate from, a sense of right and wrong. You just can't live in a vacuum. Nobody can. So you create, create your own sense of what's appropriate, rules of behavior, rules of conduct. And because children can't uh, live without these boundaries, they tend, if the parents aren't drawing the boundaries, they will draw the boundaries for themselves. But in order to create security, we often draw the boundaries in tighter than they actually need to be. Um, it's, a bit like, it's a bit like this. So if you, if you can imagine, so a good parent might draw the boundaries out here, but in order to feel safe, if there's an absence of boundaries, to make sure they're doing things right, a child will draw the boundaries much closer in. So they'll stay within some, what they perceive to be safer confines rather than adopting what the parents would want for them. So let me give you some examples. So you might have developed your own internal moral code subconsciously or consciously. So one rule that you might live by, for instance, might be, I'll never let people down. I'll always be solid and reliable and faithful. Not, I'll try to avoid letting people down, but I'll never let people down which is okay as it sounds. It sounds like a good principle to live by until, say, for instance, uh, you go down with the flu and then you physically can't get out of bed or perhaps you do get out of bed but shouldn't have done. You know, how we handle sickness actually reveals a lot about the state of our heart before the Father. How good are you at being ill? Yeah, some of us... um, some of us have no problem with this, and you know, a light cold becomes instantly man flu, and we feel like we should be in hospital on a drip and being fed grapes. You know, some of us are like that. Other of us, though, we try and soldier on through, and we push through when we shouldn't. We don't fail to listen to our body and push ourselves too hard. We can't bear the thought of being ill and not being able to fulfill our responsibilities. And so that becomes an indicator of what's going on. Just have a think from it. How good are you at being ill? Times of illness reveal a lot about the condition of our souls. Or you might think to yourself, I'm always going to be faithful and consistent. And then you miss somebody's birthday uh, or an anniversary or something like that. And to you, that behavior is unacceptable. And so you beat yourself up as a result. Or perhaps you say something inadvertently clumsy or awkward and then you just beat yourself up as a result of that. Uh, my story um, would be that I'll, I'll share some more of it later on as we go through the day, but I grew up um, in Hampshire, and uh, my parents uh, owned um, a hardware store, a DIY store, and that meant that they were extremely busy trying to get this business off the ground. I was um, sent out to uh, private school partly because it meant longer hours, and therefore they wouldn't have to do so much childcare. And then on Saturdays and pretty much every holiday except for one week a year, we would be sent to stay with um, friends and relatives, my brother and I, basically whoever could take us in in those moments. And uh, my brother's three years younger than me, nearly four years younger than me. And uh, I quickly learned to, number one, be responsible for my brother and look after him. And number two, make sure that I was a polite house guest in whatever home I happened to find myself. And so that meant that I morphed and became adaptable to the circumstances without actually really thinking about how it might impact on me. And so childhood, in a way, was taking on responsibility too quickly and too early. 
and learning to adjust to other people's feelings and expectations. And so if I upset somebody, the owner of the house that we were in, or the friends that we were staying with, I would be devastated inside because I felt uncomfortable in the environment that I was in. But for me, a strong value became don't upset people, keep people happy, be a nice young man. Does any of that resonate with you? So that's the first one, is that we will have our own highly developed, strong sense of moral code. Okay. Off the back of that and linked to it is that people who self-parent usually are very responsible, highly responsible, generally because they've had to self-parent from an early age, either because of the physical absence of parents or an emotional absence of a father or mother. So they learn to be responsible for themselves and for others. So I know of one guy, for instance, he's risen very high um, in his profession and externally promotes this air of competence and confidence. But internally, he's clinging on by his fingernails, trying to spin all these different plates and cover every responsibility that keeps being landed on his shoulders. Uh, I know another friend of mine in a senior management position uh, went into work on a Tuesday and uh, by midday, something just snapped inside and he couldn't cope anymore. He had to call two members of his senior management team into his office and they had to escort him out of the building because he was literally in the middle of an emotional breakdown. Why? Because he hadn't learned to handle responsibility lightly before God. How would you find it if you dropped one of the plates that you're spinning? Do you feel that you're responsible or does your responsibility sometimes dip into over-responsibility? Because that can be an indicator of self-parenting. It becomes all about what you can achieve rather than what the Father can achieve through you. Perhaps you're great at looking after others. Uh, Very often, people who self-parent are in positions of leadership and authority. But it's leadership and authority that doesn't come from a place of peace. It's often from a place of stress and anxiety. It's based on hard work rather than grace. So that's the second one. Tends to be highly responsible. How are you doing? Anybody two for two yet? Yeah? Okay. Number three. Um, people who self-parent are generally fiercely loyal. They're highly dependable. They know what it's like to be let down by others. Uh, so often, uh, the pain that we carry isn't a result of the sins of commission. It's the sins of omission. It's not what's been done to you. It's what hasn't been done for you that's painful. The father who never stood up for you. Uh, parents even, when you were being you know, maligned by the teacher. Uh, the, the, the mother who, who never had a tender word or embrace for you. It's the sin, sins of omission that cut to the core. And usually, um, people like this will be very careful not to cause offense. You'll have become good at reading others and very sensitive to nonverbal communication and have a radar up for that. Because the last thing you want is someone who's angry or disapproving of you. That would really throw you. So people who self-parent are generally fiercely loyal. Number four uh, is busyness. Um, If you self-parent, you will generally feel better about yourself when you're being productive. That's why sickness is so difficult for you. Um, Because after all, if you've missed out on being worth something just for who you are, then you need to achieve something in order to be worth something. Perhaps you don't feel comfortable about relaxing. You feel kind of guilty with that. What have I got done today? I'm not sure what I've achieved. And you feel like you need to be working hard all the time. 
But what often happens is people can't maintain that pace of life. They can't work solidly all the time. So you flip from being really productive to really unproductive when you absolutely just crash out. And there's no pace or rhythm to life. So, so you go from being full-on, foot to the floor, to suddenly absolutely crash out, and you hit into escapism rather than relaxation. That you don't actually know how to relax, you only know how to distract yourself. And that's a sickness right across our modern world, is that people don't know how to fully recreate they only know how to distract themselves. And so you, that would be something that you'd be guilty of. So you, you dive into movie box sets or TV box sets or, or video games or novels or anything to get you out of the reality of your present world. And you struggle to pace yourself through life. It's boom or it's bust. And you find it really difficult to manage your time and your energy levels. Why? Because you're desperately, desperately trying to achieve, but it doesn't come from a place of identity. Number five has to do with making decisions. Um, if you self-parent, um, you will very often struggle to make small decisions, things that would seem inconsequential. The reason is you've grown up with this belief that there's a lot riding on your choices, that everything comes down to you. The buck stops with you, Therefore, you don't want to make the wrong choice or decision. So choosing a holiday uh, or buying a car, maybe even choosing meals in Sainsbury's are a challenge to you because I don't want to screw this up. I don't want to make the wrong choice. We've got people coming around for dinner. I don't want to buy the wrong thing or have the wrong thing because if I get it wrong, there's no safety net. You are your own safety net. People who are parented by the father knows that he catches them when they fall. Everything depends on him, not on them. Uh, number six is this. Um, you struggle to be generous to yourself. Um, perhaps being generous to other people comes fairly naturally to you, uh, particularly with your time and your energy. You'll give yourself, perhaps even exhaust yourself on behalf of others. But unfortunately, you don't know how to be generous to yourself. Sadly, our churches give lots of opportunity for you to absolutely exhaust yourself, don't they? We run lots of programs and have lots of activities. When it comes to energy for yourself, you don't know what to do and wouldn't know where to start. That's because life has taught you that other people are more valuable than you are. And so you see your role is just to pour yourself out on behalf of others. I regularly end up talking to people, very often men, who have totally emptied their emotional tank and don't have a clue how to refill it. They've been serving all kinds of different needs. They've tried to be a provider in the workplace. They've tried to be a blessing in the local church family. And they've tried to be this mega super dad and husband at home. And they've got nothing left. Maybe even this morning, you're running on empty. You know, it's just fumes is all you've got left in the tank. Because being generous to yourself is a different kettle of fish. Often, you'll struggle to spend money on yourself. Like, you know, your, your wages go on other things, but when it's come down to your birthday, you don't know what, what you want or for Christmas or anything like that. You don't, know, you don't have any particular hobbies or interests that people could give into because everything is just given out uh, to everybody else. I know people who will only ever buy clothes if they're on sale or, or discounted uh, because they want to save money because they don't, bottom line, feel that they're worth paying full price for an item of clothing. So there'll be a struggle to be generous to yourself. 
Uh, number seven, you've all gone quiet. That's either because they don't apply or they really do apply. Uh, number seven is this. Uh, infrequently, there's an intolerance of personal mistakes. You would have impossible standards that you would seek to live up to, and then you crash when you fail to meet those impossible standards. Some of you like your maths. If you were to draw a graph of it, it would look a bit like this. Let's take, let's take a little scenario. Imagine you're in, I don't know, some mid-sized group, or maybe if you go to a smaller church, a small church on a Sunday, and um, uh, along here is, is, your, is your time, and along here is your like, spiritual growth or connection to the Father. Um, and it's a Sunday morning, um, or a midweek group you're going to, and uh, you come in, and uh, in terms of your connection to God, you would say you're sort of midway point, something like that. And um, the meeting starts, and there's a few songs at the beginning, and you start to open up um, to the Lord and say, God, you know, is there anything you want me to bring or share? And uh, you, st- you start to um, think that, oh, uh, there's something I read in Isaiah um, that strikes a chord. I wonder if I should bring that. I wonder if that's time in terms of what God wants to do amongst us this morning. So you sort of have this conversation in head in your head with God, and you know, you, you know, when the songs start to go a bit slower, you think to yourself, I better bring it soon, because we're going to come into a landing. I know which songs that's going to be. And so you think to yourself, well, I better bring it. And so you pluck up your courage, and you go to the front, and you, you speak to the leader. And, and at that, that point, um, he just he says, oh, whatever you've got. And he hands you the microphone, and you bring your prophetic word. Um, your dependence on God, your spiritual growth, your attunement with him is really on the rise because you're saying, God, everything that you've got, I want to give this to you. I'm stepping out on a limb. And you bring your prophetic word. And so you're flying. You're accelerating. You're doing really well. The graph's headed in the right direction. You bring your prophetic word, and then you hand the microphone back to him. And then you go back to your seat. And then you, then you start to reflect on the prophetic word that you brought. And you think to yourself, um, I, I said it was Isaiah, but now that I think about it, I wonder if it was Jeremiah. And you start to dip a little bit, and then... And then you look across at the elder and you think to yourself, is that a frown? I think he might actually be scowling. I don't actually know if that was biblical. I wonder if that's, that might even be heretical. And oh my goodness, I've stood in front of all those people and talked a load of drivel and I'm pulling them away from the Lord Jesus. And what am I doing? And should I really be in this church? And, and do I believe any of this stuff? And is there a God? And will I go to heaven? And before you know it, you've dropped off the face of the graph. Can anybody else identify with that, yeah? Why? What's going on? You, you have these impossible standards that you want to be up here. And so what you do is you analyze your performance from here on in. All of this is analyzing your performance. How did I do? Did I perform well? Rather than thinking it was a burnt offering given to the Lord. It's burnt. It's gone. He's going to bless me because of it. No, no. What we do is we pick over the bones of what we've done and how we've achieved, how you did in that board meeting, how your sales figures were, whether or not people are coming along to your group for the right reasons, how well you did with that talk or that worship set. And we grade ourselves on our performance simply by refusing to have anything to do with that. We grow spiritually and connect with him. Some of you have got impossible standards that no one could ever meet. So there's an intolerance of personal mistakes, and it's like they are unacceptable to you. And so when you screw up, when you feel like I've made the the wrong call here and I've brought a dodgy prophetic word, rather than running into the arms of your father, what do you do? You withdraw. You pull back. You, in effect, put yourself on the naughty step for adults and pull away from him. Why? 
because it's all about you. It's about self-reliance, dependence on you, your performance, your abilities. And the last few, very briefly, number eight is this. There'll be a yearning for comfort. Uh, When something goes wrong or we feel low, we don't naturally go to our Father for comfort because we're not used to that, although he says he's the God of all comfort. Instead, we comfort ourselves. We medicate the pain with alcohol or self-pity or internet, internet porn. Pick your drug of choice. So we comfort ourselves when we feel low instead of going to him. Number nine is this. There'll be a vulnerability to criticism. You may look confident and able on the outside, but actually you're brittle and fragile. And it only takes one word for you to be brought crashing down. It's a worldview built by an orphan rather than a child. Because you haven't got this strong sense of internal security. If anybody criticizes you, it will literally crush you. Particularly authority figures. Some of you can remember the words that a teacher spoke over you, a church leader spoke over you, a father spoke over you, and you still remember the place, the time where you were, what they said precisely. The reason being because that's burnt into your emotional memory and you're vulnerable to criticism. And then number 10 is this they'll be looking for affirmation from father figures. Why? Because you're not used to getting it from Heavenly Father. Particularly leaders' opinions will be extremely important to you. You're thinking when you talk to them, will they notice me? Will they approve of me? What do they think of me? And you find yourself saying things around leaders that you wouldn't say in normal conversation. Has anybody else done this? You know, uh, um, you, you, you know, you, you're perhaps in a small group of people chatting, having a coffee at the end of a meeting, and you're very conscious that the leader is there. And so then your, your mouth disconnects with your brain. Has anybody had? I used to watch Friends, and if any of you remember, there's an episode where Ross is trying to chat up a pizza delivery girl who comes to the door. Have any of you remember this? So, so, so she, he's trying to impress her, but his mouth disconnects with his brain, and he starts talking about gas for some reason and why they make gas smell. And it's like, please just shut up. I can hear myself speaking, but please be quiet. And that happens to you. You just sort of run away with your mouth. Why? Because you're so nervous about what this person might think of you. You're desperate that they might affirm you rather than getting your affirmation from your Heavenly Father. So does that ring any bells with you? Does that connect with you? Turn to the person next to you and say to them, whatever it is, numbers three and five really got me, or even if you like, I think numbers nine and ten are really you. You know, feel free to point the finger, (laughs) blame people, judge them. Have a quick conversation because we're going to pray in a moment. Is that all right? Turn to the person next to you. What do you make of that list? Any of them for you? Perhaps... Tom, you can scroll backwards and forwards a bit. Okay, chaps. We're going to pray a little bit. I wonder if I could have somebody on keys or guitar in the background just for a minute, if that's all right. Great. Okay, do you want to stand with me? Stand with me. Um, just raise a hand in the air if, you, if more than three of those apply to you as we looked. Okay, all right, look around, people. The good news is you're not alone. The bad news is we're all in a mess. Okay, but we've come to the right place. (laughs) Jesus can fix us. Um, And what I want us to do is to realize that if you stop doing these things, they will help you connect with God as your Father. And it will allow the truth that you know in your head to go beyond your skin deep and go into the depths of your soul. So what I'd love us to do is... um, I'd love us to pray through a prayer that we've got on the, the end of the PowerPoint. And um, I'm not wanting to manipulate you or lead you through it, but if, you've, if you feel like you want to pray this, I, I wonder if you could join me and pray, we'll pray, pray it through 
out loud. And it's just as a way of repenting and saying, God, I'm lo- I've been looking for affirmation and fathering in the wrong places. And very often it's been when I've been trying to father myself and that's not the way you raised me to be. That's not the way things are meant to be. And so I'd encourage you, perhaps we could read it all through out loud together and then I'm going to pray for us afterwards. Is that all right? And speak some truth over us. But as you do, don't just read the words. Speak them really from your heart. Is that all right? So let's read it out together. Father, I renounce trying to parent myself. I turn away from establishing my own boundaries. I break agreement with the words I've spoken over myself. Instead, I come under your loving parenting. I will let you set the boundaries. I will trust you to tell me when I'm going wrong. Let me just close your eyes and focus in on him for a moment. just want to remind you of what it, the writer to the Hebrews says. He says that, God will treat us as sons. And actually, the word there is that he will discipline us as sons. But it's um, in the Greek, it, it, it doesn't just mean discipline. It means calling to a soundness of mind. It means a calling back to the right path. What does that mean? What's the promise there? The promise is that God says, I will set the boundaries for your life. Some of you have been relying on yourself to tell you when you've got it wrong. And the good news is now you no longer have to discipline yourself. You no longer have to live by impossible standards. You no longer have to try and achieve perfection because he promises he will discipline you. He will guide you. He will call you back to a soundness of mind when you've gone off track. And it's trusting that he will show you the rules. He will show you what's right and what's wrong. Just as you close your eyes and connect with him, I just felt reminded of one time when my children was when my children were quite young. I had my youngest was just learning to crawl and he was starting to crawl up the stairs. We lived in a big Victorian house, and um, and uh, my one of my other sons wasn't really thinking, and he got to the top of the stairs and leaned over the banisters, and he found a big one of my big heavy leather shoes and thought wouldn't it be fun if I dropped this on my brother's head so from a great height he bombed his brother from above and the shoe landed right on my youngest head and he bounced his way down the stairs to the horror of me and my wife and my wife went to comfort my little boy and I went to go and speak to the older boy and as I ran up the stairs his name's Nathan as I ran up the stairs to talk to him about what he'd done I, I couldn't find him he'd run off and I, it took me a couple of minutes to try and find him but eventually I, in his room I, I saw that his duvet was all bundled up and um, he was hunched in his duvet and as I got closer to the duvet I could see the duvet was just sort of shuddering as I got close, closer still I could hear his muffled sobs and as I got up to him he, he, he said to me daddy do I need to leave home now and his expectation was that he had not met the standards for behavior and therefore he would be rejected. He'd, he'd, not, he'd realized he'd done wrong and he'd, he'd broken his own sort of moral code. And I was able to say to him, I'd never send you away, my son. And it was a moment where he was trying to punish himself by withdrawing from me. But I was able to move in closer to him 
and demonstrate love and acceptance to him. And the Father just wants to draw in now. And he says over you, I'll set the boundaries and they'll fall for you in pleasant places. I'll teach you the way you should go. And it's time to lay down self-reliance, dependence on yourself. It's time to stop beating yourself up when you get it wrong. It's time to deal with perfectionism and performance and live a new way. If that's you, if you know that you've been crazy busy trying to live by impossible standards and your emotional tank is just hitting the red zone, can you just raise a hand for me? Right, I wonder a number of us. I wonder, ministry team, if you go around, start praying for guys. Perhaps if we just keep the music playing in the background. And uh, we're not going to have enough ministry team uh, to go around. But um, if you're, if you're, it doesn't really resonate with you, can you just open your eyes and look for somebody who's got their hand in the air? Let's be brothers to one another in this moment. And just draw alongside and say, how can I pray? There's a whole load of people. Let's try and make sure everybody's got someone to pray with them. Great. So, yeah, so if you're, if you're part of the ministry team here, Everyday Church, please go around. Let's pray for people. If you're used to praying for people, go and pray for them. Lay a hand on the shoulder. And let's this morning do business with God and deal with this drivenness and perfectionism, desperate to achieve our own standards. And the Father says, I've got grace for you. I've got a different way of living. You no longer have to perform. You no longer have to get everything right. I want you to live by my standards in my household. And I promise you, I will discipline you. I will train you in the way that you should go. For those of us who have got struggling to make even the smallest decisions because it all hinges on us, the Father says over you, freedom to make mistakes. Freedom to make mistakes. I've got a number of guys just down the front here with nobody to pray for them. If you're able to come and pray, do just come and pray and bless them. Father, increase what you're doing across this room. We lay down performance and perfectionism. We say instead, Father, we want to serve you. We live for your approval, all that you've got for us, Father. Thank you, Father. For those of us who are concerned about what a leader might think of us, we say instead we're looking for you and your affirmation. For those of us who are worried about screwing it up, we speak grace over you in this moment. We speak grace right into your heart. Our spirits cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. We say that maturity is dependence on you, not on ourselves. Thank you, Father, all that you've got. All that you've got. Thank you, Father. Grace, Father. Increase it. Increase it. Thank you, Father, for all that you're doing across this room. Thank you, Father, all that you've got to live a different way. Let lightness come. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. All that you've got. Increase it, Lord God. Yeah, fear of failure. We break your power in the name of Jesus. We say freedom to make mistakes, to mess it up, to screw it up royally. Thank you, Father. We say that your ability to fix things is greater than our ability to mess them up. Thank you, Father. All that you've got. Increase it, Lord God. Increase it. All that you've got. All that you've got. All that you've got all that you've got words of failure we break off you in the name of Jesus right now we break off words of failure in the name of Jesus say you're pleasing and acceptable to him 
Thank you, Father. All that you've got, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Increase it. Right across the room, Lord. Come by your power. Thank you, Father. All that you've got, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Yeah. Fear of failure, we break your power in this room. In the name of Jesus. So that we've been made righteous. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. You use the things that are shame, the things that are not, for your glory. We bless you, Father. All that you've got, Lord God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Increase it, Lord God. Right across the room. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I feel like for some of us in particular, it's, it's the shame from past failures that the Lord wants to break. So if that's you right now, just raise a hand in the air. We want to break off the shame of past failures where you feel you've messed it up. Okay. Thank you, Father. We break off the power of those words. We break off the power of that experience in the name of Jesus. So it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. No longer to be under slavery in the name of Jesus. We break it off and say you're made acceptable. Jesus met the standard. Jesus met the standard for your life. No more performance. We break it off in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. We no more parenting ourselves. We trust you to be our good father. Refuse to father ourselves when we've got a heavenly father. Refuse to live that way anymore. Thank you, Father. Let lightness and joy come. Let lightness and joy come. For some of us, you just for so long been under this must try harder, must do more, must work harder, must achieve more, must earn more money, mustn't mess up. And the Father wants to come and break all of that off you and say, you're living by my house rules now. For some of you, you're like that boy sobbing under the duvet and the Father wants to draw in close and hold you and hug you and say, Jesus has met the standard. You're now acceptable. Let lightness and joy come. We don't have to perform anymore. We don't have to get it right. Freedom to mess it up in the name of Jesus. Freedom to make a complete hash of it. I speak over you that God's ability to fix things is greater than your ability to mess them up. God's ability to fix things is greater than your ability to mess them up. Some of you have been walking a tightrope and uh, I want you to know right now there's a safety net under you. I can just picture some of you, just, you're falling off the tightrope, which was impossible to walk, and you're just resting in this huge hammock of a safety net because the Father's got you. He's met, Jesus has met the standards. We speak that over you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. All that you're doing. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Let it come. Thank you, Father. Do a deep work in our hearts. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father.